Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Tillage Edge podcast with me, Shea Phelan. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. With the start of the cereal harvest a matter of days away, many tillage farms are now facing into their busiest time of the year, which can leave other work or other crops playing second fiddle, if you like. This can often give an opportunity for problems to occur in other crops, such as potato blight. So on today's podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Stephen Kildare from Chagas Oak Park to talk about controlling blight, not just on commercial farms, but also for hobby growers as well. So Stephen, last week, what many people considered to be blighty weather. What would you consider to be blighty weather? And do you think, is there much or many reports of blighting crops around the country? Yeah, I suppose so. the first question in terms of what is what is blighty weather really it's that sort of sticky summer day, if you want to say, um, where you've got humidity above, I think about 88, 90%. There's a little bit of, there's moisture in the air, there's temperature there. It's not too warm, it's not too cold. Um, and then you might have the odd shower in between, basically keeping things wet in terms of the crop and things like that. So last week, if you think about it, it was, it was showery and it was some really heavy showers. The sun came out and then it sort of dried everything away. But when it's drying everything away, it's creating a lot of humidity. So that's those are sort of the conditions that are ideal for blight. And are you hearing many stories of blight out there or in crops or anywhere else? Not really. Look, I've heard of a few reports, um, a couple of reports from northeast and maybe one or two from the southeast. But a lot of these are sort of more uh, localized sort of cases. Um, and, and, and in some instances, they might even be coming from dumps or, or groundkeepers or volunteers, sort of where I suppose programs aren't in place, but also where blight may be in the tube or whether it's in a, a dump or whether it's in a, in a groundkeeper, not necessarily spreading uh, and, and being out in the, in the wild, if you will, but actually coming from its original source. So actually getting an idea, getting an idea of what might be in those sort of dumps Groundkeepers keeping an eye on those will really give us an idea of where blight is at at this stage before it then potentially spreads into crops. And is there much of a risk from those groundkeepers or dumps to neighbouring crops, Stephen? Yeah, well, I think we have to look at it and say from a blight perspective, where does the inoculum come from? And I'm talking about inoculum, I'm talking about those spores that are going to cause those first infections. Where are they coming from? Look, um, they can come... They can come from seed, they come from dumps, they come from groundkeepers. I think we have to think of it that way and sort of it overwinters in the tuber. Um, and it really doesn't overwinter in the plant because no real plant material above the ground foliage actually survives the winter months. We, we don't have any evidence of oospore sort of infection, and that's the long-lived spores that would be in the soil. So basically, in the end, we're relying on the tubers. And as I say, they can come in three forms, either in the seed, which there's very, very low levels because a lot of it would go for certi- certified seed to be inspected crops and things like that. So it shouldn't have any really in the seed. You think about it, then dumps, these are actually the tubers that are going to be discarded. They've gone over the they've gone over the grader and for some reason they've been kicked out. Um, and it could be a chance actually that that's because there was blight in them. So really you have to think about, well, a dump contain, could potentially contain tubers that have blight. And then a third, of course, is going to be volunteers, those that weren't lifted from the field. Um, and potentially they could also have blight, you know, like it, it would just be the end of the season, uh, small little tubers, potentially some of them might have the odd bit of blight there. So you have to think about where that source of inoculum is coming from. And it's really, as I say, it's going to be the big two sources, the initial levels of inoculum, the initial sources will either be the dumps or, or will be those volunteers. And I suppose if you look at where crops are at the moment, what sort of products do you think are, are best that guys would use at the moment in terms of keeping blight at bay in their, in their crops? 
Yes, so I, I think a lot. Of, look, most crops at this stage would be well into, into stable canopy. Um, you might even have some of those earliest that are sort of starting to die back a little bit. So really, you're looking at stable canopy type products, and these are the guys that are basically translaminar in activity. So they're going to move through the leaf. Um, there's very few that'll actually move up with the, as the crop goes. And, and really, I think we're past that stage of rapid canopy now. So as I say, we're probably stable canopy. So you're, a range of different products that are going to be there. You've got you've got anything from the Zorvec, which would be the strongest of the products, um, through to your Revis, your Infinito. And then as we move a little bit later, then I suppose you're moving into some things like, uh, like a Ranman type products. And um, when really, I suppose maybe for the guys who maybe who are only kind of hobby growers, when is blight? When are crops most at risk from blight? Is it is it now? Is it earlier in the season, or is it later in the season? So I think we can look at it, and as I say, we have to have the inoculum coming from summer. So is it a case like if that inoculum is present at the start of the season as the potatoes coming out of the ground, they're at risk. There is at much risk as they're coming out of the ground if the inoculum there as if they are at the end of the season, if there's inoculum inoculum around, or inoculum uh, around in the, in, in, the, in the environment. So you have to think of it that way. So that sort of scenario would say season is a potential risk for the crop. Um, it's really where that source of infection could come from. So managing that source will, will lower those risks. Um, and then, of course, the biggest factor that's going to drive everything will be the weather. So if the weather is conducive, and when I'm talking about conducive, it gets back to what I was sort of saying, it's mild, it's it's damp, and a few rain showers, the humidity is high, etc. If they're, they're present at the start of the season, pressure will be high, it's a high risk. If they're there in the middle of the season, it's just equal level of risk. If that doesn't exist, the pressure and the risk is considerably lower, uh, being honest. So it's all, it's all driven by those sort of things, having the inoculum, uh, and having the sort of the, the weather conditions or environmental conditions to allow the disease to develop. I suppose the other, the, the other thing that, of course, I, I did mention then is, is, is going to be the variety and the resistance there. But I'm taking it as a, as a given that the majority of what we grow are susceptible to blight. So really, the conditions are going to be having the inoculum and having the weather conditions to allow those spores to move and then to uh, sort of germinate and infect. So really, people can't take their eye off the ball at any stage during the season once they get above the ground, really. You can't take your eye off the ball, but what you can do is you can actually assess that risk. So that risk is going to be, as I say, the inoculum. If it's beside a dump, if you've got dumps and you're not managing your dump pressure, undoubtedly, it's going to be a higher risk. It's going to be a higher pressure potentially there. Um, if you have a bit of blight in the field, there's going to be higher pressure there. Potential risk is going to be higher. So I'd also say sort of those garden growers that if you if a commercial grower growing alongside someone that might have a, a small garden plot, um, there's, I suppose, potential in the garden plot that it may be left maybe in the untreated or unsprayed and things like that. And that could act as a source of inoculum. But the, the other thing, of course, is going to be those weather conditions. So even though you can't take your eye off the ball, I would be saying you can't take your eye off where the forecast of weather is going to be. And that's something that uh, I suppose we've been talking about a lot about in terms of the meta and sort of forecast that we've, we've tweaked them in the last sort of couple of months based on some data that we would have generated over the last few years that has actually allowed us to sort of, okay, try and predict the forecast of blight better. That gives an idea of the conditions, the environmental conditions. Are they going to be low? Are they going to be high for disease potential development? It doesn't take, it doesn't sort of give us an indication of if the source of inoculum is there, but it tells us that actually, look, if you have a source of inoculum close by and those weather conditions are in that high end of sort of a high pressure then look it's on it's no doubt that i would expect that you would ha you would see blight within a week or within uh, 10 days of that and if 
if a nightmare scenario, Stephen, somebody walks out into a field of potatoes or a garden of potatoes, whatever it is, in the next week or 10 days or 40, whatever it is, and they see blight there, what should they do or what can they do? Don't ignore it is the first thing I would say. Anyway. And I think from a commercial grower, they won't ignore it. Um, and I, but I, I do think there's probably two scenarios there, Shane. I think in the commercial grower, look, the, the thing would be, look, to get on top of that. When I'm saying to get on top of that, there's various different levels. If this is a bad, le- a bad patch, now, it's a matter of trying to get that out, trying to get on top of it if you if you can, um, but if not, to actually get it get get rid of it. Um, and and I'm thinking of really bad patches because trying to spray and trying to get on top with fungicides, you will probably get most of it, but it probably will come back very quickly. So you need to try and control that really, really rigorously. Um, and again, product choice will be a big thing there. Look, we're looking at a lot of Samoxanil would give you that sort of kickback, immediate kickback, very short-lived sort of protection, um, but it does allow things to be dried up and including that in your fungicide spray um, would be very important. Equally, being in a very tight interval in that sort of scenario, in that whole, whole crop, not just that patch that probably needs to be intensively sort of, um, uh, sort of uh, protected or controlled, but the entire field would also need to be in a tight regime at, at that sort of stage. And I think that's from a commercial grower that is a case of getting on top of that fairly quickly. From the garden grower, of course, this is going to come back down to, okay, first question would be, are they using a fungicide? And look, some of them uh, don't particularly want to use one. If you see blight there, the thing to do is actually to remove those infected leaves um, and don't just compost them. Don't put them on a compost heap because they can allow blight as the, as the material, as the leaf material is dying back, it'll still be leaves and spores. So if you do want to get, if you don't want to use a fungicide and you do want to remove it, remove it and make sure you put it in a, a closed container to compost in, in that sort of scenario. Um, if you want to use a fungicide, look, yeah, there will be some level, some amount of fungicides that would be available at various different sort of stores, etc. But be aware that the, the, the level that you would be getting from those won't be at the level that the commercial growers will have because they've got a suite of fungicides that would be available to them. So really what I would say, Shay, even if we go back to the very start of that sort of question, I would say what's more important is to try and make sure not to allow blight in the first place. And when you mentioned uh, products, Stephen, a, a product that's been very popularly used by both commercial and hobby growers is, is a thing called Sherlan. And last year and the previous year, you were able to show us trials here in Oak Park where we weren't getting really good control of them. Um, what's the reason for that? And is it, is it much of a is it much of a problem nationwide? It, it is, it is, Shay. So the Sherlon is the, I suppose it's a brand name of a, a specific fungicide. The fungicide itself is, is fluoznam and it would be available in a range of different products. Um, what I would say is that, yeah, in the trials that we have, and it's probably the last two years, 2020 and 2021, we could see that actually, though that uh, plots that would have been sprayed with that fungicide, we were not getting the level of activity that we would expect from that. Um, Fluoznam has been on the market for, uh, I think, maybe two decades at this stage. It has really performed very, very well for us. It was, it was very common in the commercial sort of situation at an end of season and um, provided some very good control, anti-sparulant activity, etc. So it would have been regarded as a tuber sort of product. But we do know that actually what has happened is that there has been a strain called 37A2 that has emerged. Now, it's, it, it, it emerged in, in the continent quite a few years ago, and, and I suppose we, we got the heads up that actually this could cause an issue from a fluoznam perspective, that it did seem to have reduced sensitivity, and that did impact in the terms of its efficacy, and it did, it did lead to poor efficacy of the, of the product. Um, so that has made its way over to here, 
as I say, look, we, we could see it. We, we picked it up, I should say, 2019 samples that would have been sent into us from throughout the country. We picked it up in trials then naturally in, in Oak Park in 2020 and 2021. We could see the impact of that and we lost a significant amount of disease control coming from it. Um, the consequences, I think, are important, as I say, because, look, first of all, as you as you, as you rightly say, Shay, it, it was a, a very popular product, um, not just for, I suppose, commercial growers, but also the garden growers. Um, available and um, but the second thing from a commercial perspective is that it was used at the end of the season um, quite quite effectively um, and we've lost that now in terms of it, it's too risky to run to utilize that or to use that as a fungicide at the end of the season because you're not just looking for foliage blight or foliar blight control you're also looking for tuber control and the, the issue would be that if you're using that that you could allow some of the it as it has as it has reduced efficacy it may allow for some blight to actually get through into the tubers, they'd be put into the store. And of course, then as they're brought out of the store, you would start to see that infection coming through. So it does have an impact on, on the availability uh, or the effectiveness of that, that product. And that, of course, does have an impact on how we design fungicide programs because we cannot rely on it to be providing the control. And if we can't rely on it, it's very difficult to see where in a program you might place it. Yeah, and as you say, Stephen, and it's a very good point that the like products such as Sherland or Valley or Tisca or who has no I think are the main ones that are available on the market that traditionally over the last number of years would have been used in that late season scenario so kind of month of August into kind of when crops are desiccated what options have guys there in that scenario this year? Yeah so look at the, the, the option look there's products that are still there you're going to have your Infinito um, and your Ranman will probably be the biggest sort of options I, I know that uh, there's another one that has been introduced by BSF uh, based on Amitoctrogen is the active uh, mode of action Um sort of we need to be utilizing uh, as much of these as possible in terms of that um, Revis is another option but it's probably more into that sort of stable canopy that we're in at the, at the, at the moment and um, being honest so you're really you're probably looking at those three um, in that sort of slot at the moment um, and of course remembering that each one of those will have a limitation on how many can actually be used yeah and it's a good point that they do have a finite number of applications that are legally allowed to use. Yeah. So you need to be, you need to watch that as well. Um, I suppose the last question I have for you, Stephen, just before I let you go, is that um, we've seen a growth this year in processing varieties for fresh chip and for the likes of crisping. And one of the things that people are starting to notice in those varieties is the, the amount of Valtineria or early blight that's, that's coming in those. Is that much of a problem, do you think? And how do, how do we control it or is it much of a risk? Yeah, it, 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 I suppose it depends, as you say, on the variety and on the season. Now, as you, as you, as you say, those sort of processing varieties would tend to have a susceptibility maybe to, to alternary or to early blight, um, and it does need to be controlled. Now, how we control it, look, some of the products you might say, look, we were applying fungicides, will they control it? Alternaria and Phytophthora, the cause of late blight, are different species. They're almost like one is a true fungus and being the alternaria, and the Phytophthora is a new mycete, which isn't actually a fungus. And therefore, the chemistry that is available don't necessarily cross between different sort of uh, species, if you know what I mean, between the different pathogens. So you need to be looking at more in the true fungicides, traditional type fungicides that we might be using um, to control that alternaria compared to those that are specific to late blight. 
but the only one that might sort of span both at the moment that is available is, is fluazinam. But as I say, look, the issues surrounding fluazinam that if it is being used, then I wouldn't be relying on it solely for the control alternaria and to be controlling the plight. Um, then for, for the alternaria or the early right specifically, you can be looking at things like the strobs. There are a number of SDHIs that will also be uh, registered for use in potatoes. And, and equally, then there's a couple of ASOs that will also be registered for use. And, and these would be given effective control. This is Stephen. Thanks for that. As, as, as you can see, blight hasn't gone away. It's still a problem and it continues to be a problem. But I think there's some sage advice for anybody who is interested in growing potatoes out there, be it uh, guys growing commercially or guys growing it in their, in their gardens or, um, or hobby growers. Thanks, Stephen. No problem, Shay. So that's it from this week's edition of the Tillage Edge with me, Shay Phelan. My thanks to Stephen for his advice. As always, if you like this podcast, please rate, review and follow on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss a show. For more information, log on to chagas.ie. I'm Shea Phelan. I'll be back again next week with more Tilly's news and advice.